Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today I'm talking to Ishveen Anand. She's the CEO and founder of Open Sponsorship. She's a Forbes 30 under 30 list and an Inc. Top 100 female founder. She played netball and cricket for Oxford University and was a sports agent in New Delhi, India before founding Open Sponsorship. Ishveen, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. I'm excited to talk about open sponsorship. Ever since Fred Schonenberg mentioned it on a podcast last week, I've been curious about the company. And just to give a quick synopsis, it's an Airbnb for sports sponsorships. Then I want to turn it over to you. What does that mean? What is an Airbnb for sports sponsorships? What does open sponsorship do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the analogy. So um, I think Airbnb is a great example because it's a two-sided marketplace like ours. So on one side, we have athletes um, often represented by themselves or could be represented by their agents. So we have a, around 6,500 athletes today, about 70% represented by their agents, as I said, 30% direct. And then on the other side, we have brands or brand agencies who are coming and looking for like, you know, authentic, perfect athletes for their next marketing campaign, mostly digital. And I like the Airbnb example because you can go on Airbnb and, you know, you can book a room for $50 a night in New York, or you could find a, you know, um, something that costs thousands of dollars a night in Vegas or the other side of the world. And likewise, with open sponsorship, we have brands um, who are huge, like the ESPN and Heiser Bushes of the world. And then we also work with a ton of really small startups as well. And then on the other side, we have athletes, you know, that we have 60% of the NFL and NBA on the platform. We've done deals for like Todd Gurley or Draymond Green, but we also have you know, super micro athletes, lacrosse players, um, you know, the niche MLS players, Olympians, etc. You have 60% of the NFL and NBA on the platform. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. So we're going to be talking about the sports sponsorship space and the esports sponsorship space and how they differ in different ways and generally just the uh, differences from there, especially as brands enter esports from sports during this COVID-19 crisis. It's an interesting look at how the two spaces are similar and also how they're different. But first, you know, it's the elephant in every room, the start of every conversation. How has the company been impacted by COVID? Somebody focused on sports world without sports, it's got to be a little bit tough. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting times. Um, of course, again, two-sided, right? So I've got, on one side, our brands are taking a big hit. Marketing dollars are either frozen or heavily reduced. Um, so that's obviously tough. But then on the other side, our athletes are probably more active than they've ever been on social. And so just to, I suppose, back up a second, 80% of our deals are essentially social media-based um, campaigns. So, you know, products sent to athlete, athlete doing a fun video or creative at home or wherever um, and promoting the product, ideally with some sort of like, 
UTM tracking links so that we can see conversions. So that's about 80% of what we do. And now, obviously, that's 100%. Um, sometimes short-term one-offs, and sometimes it could be a long-term deal where the athletes are posting regularly. So you know, going back to the point on COVID, athletes are at home, they're producing content, they're showing a side of their lives that they've probably never shown before, You know, whether it's hanging out with their dogs or cooking in the kitchen or you know, putting on their... Uh, female athletes doing like hair tutorials and so we really um we're trying to make the most of that side of things and wherever we find a brand that is able to spend a bit of money we've you know basically knocked off so we don't have any minimums it's free to get started even if you want to just gift product or a couple of hundred dollars and so we're trying to make it really easy for the brands that do have money and appetite to essentially work with our athletes right now yeah, and you know, it's the brands are few far between, but there are still plenty of ad spends going on out there. When you look at the at-home ad, I feel like it has way more impact, and I'm curious what your data shows. When you go to a sports stadium, there's so many brands, it's just numbing, right? And then when you have an athlete do a personalized thing, can you give an idea of just what a brand could expect to return on from something like an at-home thing versus a sponsorship in an arena is there uh, a way to like quantify what the return is in your perspective yeah it's a, it's a great question um i think it heavily varies on what the brand is even looking for um a great example i suppose would be um let's take a, like a party city who you know huge stadium sponsors like they love to splash their logos across the stadiums and um, that obviously does work, but they say the, the same way in sponsorship, they say, you know, for every dollar that you spend on the actual sponsorship agreement, you should spend $3 on activation. I could take a similar approach to us and say, you know, for every dollar that you spend on the athlete, you should spend, you know, it might not be 3x, but you should definitely spend some amount of money and time amplifying that content. So, Going back to Party City, you know, they could come to us and you know, the way our platform works is they'll put up a campaign and athletes and agents will apply. So, you know, they might say looking for athletes who um, have a kid's birthday party coming up. You know, we, we want to essentially sponsor your kid's birthday party and be present there and create cool content with you. And so the athlete will do that, um, that deliverable. And you know, we do hope for a positive ROI on that. So let's say we hope that that returns like, you know, 1x ROI. But then what we really encourage Party City to do in that case is, all right, your next email that goes out to probably your million subscriber base, why not include images from the athlete or even include their name in the subject line? And that's probably going to increase open rates and conversion rates. So now, you know, it's helping that channel or even, um, hey, like Party City, you probably spend like a decent amount of money producing content to put in your own paid ads. Why not take the athlete's content and put it in your paid ads? Um, and we recently did this with ESPN and they found that the, the athlete created content performed better, some of it anyway, than their own organic content that they were creating. And so, when we start thinking about ROI, you're basically layering in, okay, how can the athlete impact all the other channels um, that you have going on in marketing and, and really drive those as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different avenues, especially in this digital age, that brands really need to be thinking about all the different ways they can utilize an athlete to help impact their brand. 100%. When it comes to sports and esports, what are the differences in how athlete sponsorships work and how sponsorships in general work uh, with the two different areas? Yeah, I think um, esports is super interesting because of the fact that you can well, you know, that may change over time as things become more mature, but one is you can integrate the product into um, the actual game. Obviously, you can't do that unless you're an official sponsor of of the, the team or the league or the event. So let's take, for example, NBA, like you know, athletes on the court can't be drinking something that isn't um, a team or a league sponsor. But in esports, um, depending on the league, they they sh- they they are able to bring things out. But even even forgetting like you know a lot of the content that's consumed um, by an esports fan is not necessarily just part of the tournament. It's you know watching their Twitch streams, like learning how to play the game from them in their own time. And so there's so much that a uh, an esports athlete can integrate into essentially their playing time which i think is really cool and then the second thing obviously is the fact that you you know you do have this live element and video and i think for traditional sports and traditional athletes video is becoming bigger and bigger but it's it's definitely trickier you know if you're an nfl player you've not really done you know yes of course you play um, football in front of TV and in front of crowds, but you've not really had to bring your your brand and your personality or yourself to life on like homemade videos. So it's a much harder transition for a traditional athlete to essentially start creating all of this amazing video content. Whereas in esports, like that's essentially how they um, kind of grew up and that's what they know. So I find that the quality of the video content or the content that they can make in esports is sometimes a little bit higher than traditional athletes. That's really interesting, and it's a great point. To be discovered as an esports pro, you generally have to have some sort of Twitch presence or YouTube presence. You you start as a content creator, and then that leads into being a pro player, which is the opposite if you look at an athlete who has cameras following them. If they're a top NBA player or a top prospect, they have cameras following them in high school now with overtime and ball is life and these different things. So it's an interesting divide and what has to start with content creation. The other one has always had content created around them from an early age. Yeah. You also mentioned Twitch streams. And I think it's one of the biggest untapped areas for sponsorships. If you look at take uh, Nike, I guess is a good example. They pay millions upon millions of dollars to get their logo all over an NBA court to get on a Twitch stream. You could have seven, eight hours of a Nike swoosh hat front and center right on a Twitch stream, just uninterrupted. And it would cost you probably, what, a couple grand, maybe? So I feel like there's a really interesting opportunity, especially for apparel brands and other brands, to just sit on a Twitch stream for a long, long time for way cheaper than it takes to get into a professional sports arena. Yeah, absolutely. And then especially, I mean, at the moment, um, we're seeing... You know, obviously, because of COVID, especially like we're seeing so many of our athletes are, are gamers, right? And so, I think you can essentially um, be even working with the NBA players 
but using Twitch as your platform as opposed to, like we said, like the leagues or the, the game. So I think it's a really interesting time for esports because I think the lines between gaming, esports, traditional, non-traditional, they're all kind of being blurred. Yeah, to your point on athletes playing video games, it's like every single athlete. Right before we started this podcast, I got a press release said Wayne Gretzky is going to be playing Alex Ovechkin in NHL 20, which I I guess, I mean, how old's Gretzky at this point? He's got to be <laughs> 55, 60, yeah. like, and he's playing video games on a televised competition. It's crazy to me to just see the widespread athlete adoption of video games over the last few weeks. Yeah, I think it's not even like just the adoption. I think the biggest thing being before you wouldn't like Wayne would be obviously if he was posting anything on social if he was doing something he would make sure you know it was a uh, charity golf day or something that was like a little bit more on brand but now these athletes are like all right well if that's all I'm doing playing games and that's what you're going to see about me so I think it's bringing out like a lot of like closet interests that we didn't know about the athletes before. It's pretty crazy, yeah. And you definitely look at the younger generation, and they've all been playing Devin Booker, Juju Smith-Schuster, Trevor May. These athletes have built up really big followings in part through their gaming connections, which is, I think, a really interesting development. Trevor May is a great example. He's a relief pitcher for the Minnesota Twins that has 120,000 followers on Twitter. I can safely say that no other relief pitcher for the Minnesota Twins has anywhere close to that amount of following, and it's because he plays Fortnite with Dr. Lupo and Ninja. Do you think there's an opportunity for athletes here to connect with the gaming audience and really make themselves even more appealing as a brand partner? Oh, 100%. I think um, not only connecting with the gaming audience that will follow them for gaming, but you know, a lot of that gaming community they do watch the NBA um, or the NFL, but they'll only follow people whose personalities they know, right? Like that's why Tom Brady has such a big following because, you know, we know what he stands for or like LeBron James. And unfortunately, that's, that's kind of the media way, right? Because they create like, third, you know, the ESPN series and they'll create documentaries on the top players. So you, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you get to know the bigger players even more. And, you know, the guy who's coming off the bench, he doesn't really get a voice. And that's why, like, you know, platforms like Players Tribune do so well. So in a way, what's happening here is, you know, whether it's Trevor or, you know, there's a lot of talk about, like, Trey Young. These guys are able to connect to the NBA fan base on a different level. And so, you know, someone who may have thought like, Trey, well, we know like, you know, he's good at dunking and we see him once a year in the dunk contest or maybe when he plays my team, suddenly he's, you know, all over Twitch and you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, he's a good guy. I like him. And so I think it's just giving um, all of these athletes a way to, again, like it's it's just like showing personality off the court. And that's what you really want, right? As a fan, you want to um, you want to appreciate what they can do on the court, but you also kind of want to know a little bit more about them and um, like have other reasons to root for them as well. For sure, yeah. And especially as fandom shifts to the LeBron James model of, of fandom, as I call it, I'm sure it's a, it's a known thing in the athlete world, is you've got people that suddenly are rooting for one player. And it doesn't really matter what team they're on. They were Cavs fans, then they were Heat fans, then they were Cavs fans again, and now they're Laker fans. I have quite a few friends that fall in this camp. 
And especially as the younger generation moves towards a fandom that's more player centric, it's really awesome to be able to connect with them where they are. You can totally imagine Juju Smith-Schuster having fans for life that aren't just Pittsburgh Steelers fans because they like what he does with FaZe Clan. So for athletes, I feel like there's a way of really building up your fandom throughout your career and not tying it to one city, which is how fandom has worked for generations in the past. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, um, so we're 49ers fans in our family and um, George Kittle, obviously, like huge personality and he, you know, he loves uh, WWE, right? And so anyone who's a fan of football but also a fan of WWE is going to love the fact that, like, George is a face for NFL fans who love, like, wrestling. And so, again, it's just that same example that the more things that you can connect with the player upon, like the more likely you are to be a bigger fan. Definitely. So when it comes back to esports players, do you think there's an opportunity here? You know, we saw the first mainstream gaming star in the Western world was Ninja. And he really ascended to that popularity by streaming with Drake about two years ago. I think it was March 2018 or 2017. I think 2018. And now with so many athletes playing video games do you think we see more esports stars reach sort of a mainstream level of name recognition after covid because they have this opportunity to be so close to traditional star power in sports music and other industries yeah 100 percent. i mean um you know i'm a formula one fan and i know that they've uh, due to COVID, they've been putting on their virtual races and they have, um, like many other leagues, they have a combination of like Formula One drivers, other celebrities, other athletes, and then obviously uh, streamers as well. And so I think there's a lot of people out there who previously didn't know that world who are being exposed to it because, you know, your streamer might be the best person in a, a NASCAR race or F1 race. So obviously the, the longer that COVID goes on, the more exposure they get. Um, but also I imagine like, you know, once you start realizing, you know, the guy who joins Twitch now to check out what, what it's all about, I doubt he's going to like stop following once, um, you know, everything returns to normal. So I think there's a huge opportunity for esports streamers, personalities in that world to become more household names. Definitely. It really just takes, especially esports going on to linear television, League of Legends on ESPN, and then all these different competitions. You mentioned Formula One, NBA 2K, uh, a new EMLS FIFA tournament that I think is going to be really popular. Starts this Sunday and combines top MLS players, like the best of the MLS with their EMLS players. And it does it in two legs where the athletes play each other and then the EMLS players play each other. And then the combined scores, the two legs, just like uh, Champions League, go in together. And then that's the winner. I think that's a really smart way of combining the traditional athlete with the streamer and just showing how good these professional video game players are at the video game, even when compared to people who play this sport in real life. So I'm excited to see how that event does. because I think it's one of the, the smartest ways of combining the gaming and athlete world into one big event. Yeah, absolutely. I want to switch perspectives just a little bit over to the brand side. We've seen just an absurd amount of major brands enter esports. Today was BMW not entering esports necessarily, 
but partnering with five esports organizations, Flood Plus Phoenix, G2, Fnatic, Cloud9, and T1 in South Korea. And that's the kind of massive brand adoption that would have been a major headline maybe two years ago. And now it's so a little bit par for the course. Now, this is still a big one. But what are brands seeing in esports and why are they flocking to the space over the last two years in droves? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, you know, there's obviously like part of it is just like it's new and exciting and it's innovative. And I think brands are always looking at like what's new, what's out there, like what could I jump on now that might be good value? And sometimes it's already prime like real estate, but it could be good value and it's going to grow. So I think that's part of that. And then the second is because it's, um, you know, obviously like there's every every time a new sport comes around, the sponsorship happens for a sport, then you've got your endemics, right? And that's like the, you know, the, the gaming headsets, the chairs, everything that's, that's, necessary for the games obviously in basketball that's like the hoop the get the, the you know the balls the energy drinks and that stuff and then you get your next phase of like the non-endemics and then what happens is when it's a little bit new there's a lot more um um there's a lot there's a lot more that you can do with the sponsorship that's like uncharted territory and that's obviously the holy grail for every marketing person is to like create a campaign that's like really interesting and really different and so like one example i loved was the louis vuitton um esports deals with league of legends and you know because it's like luxury brand and what can they do there and there's a lot of talk on like you know where could that go and so i think the big thing today is not like you know doing an esports deal is not that special as you said but it's what can you create around it that is going to be unique and, and almost like we be redefining for both brand and sport because that's what makes a you know the best partnerships are ones where both the brand and the the sports and the players and the fans really benefit yeah the louis vuitton partnership is just like gold standard in what brands could do when they enter esports and a lot of the credit goes to riot games as well for being the company that can bring in massive brands now the bmw deal all those teams the commonality across them is they all have great league of legends teams uh fun plus phoenix was wearing a nike kit as they won the world championships in paris the they brought in mastercard as a global partner and so riot games has really been able to bring in these non-endemics in a way that other game developers you know are trying to do certainly i think overwatch league has done a decent job at it but you can clearly tell that riot has brought in these brands that have done nothing before in esports and really made them feel welcome and connected to the space. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to esports player sponsorships, we see all these deals, and usually it's with a game publisher or a team like the BMW deal. What about individual player deals? Besides Ninja, I can't think of a ton of players that have been able to sign their individual brand partnerships. Why do you think that is? Um, I'm not... Um, I think I remember when we first thought about launching esports um, a few years ago, and I remember going out and you know typically what we'll do is we'll you know we'll find athletes, we may DM them on social, we'll find their agents, and I thought it was definitely like pretty messy. Where and again this was a couple of years ago, but it was like 
you know, you had a lot of like younger, younger athletes, obviously. And so who's the agent? You end up talking to a parent. It seemed a little bit um, messy to me. And I think that, and I think there could be, you know, even for us today, like we'll talk to brands. And if we talk about NFL and there'll always be like the marketer who says, oh, you know, but athletes get in trouble and you know, the, we, we are scared of aligning with someone who may go out and get a DUI or something. And, you, you know, that's such a small percentage of players that, that that happens with. But like that becomes kind of the the thought for anyone who doesn't want to do it. And so I think because the players are fairly unknown um, still and because they can be younger and there's not like that much made about who they are personality wise. And again, coming back to like the side of them on social where we're now seeing the true, the true basketball player and what do they do at home? The same thing, like with esports, we know they play games. Um, they're good at gaming and we know that they spend time on Twitch, but who are they? Who, who else are they? And like, what do they do in their spare time? And so maybe there's just like a lack of education around like, who these gamers are as, as brand ambassadors potential, um, which could be hurting that side of the business. Yeah, I definitely think that is one of the biggest issues. There's also very short careers to worry about. When players retire at the age of 24, there's not a lot of time for them to build up the star power. You know, imagine if LeBron retired at 24. Zero MVPs, zero championships. He's not nearly the icon the taco tuesday 50 million followers guy he is today and i think that's one of the main things that esports needs to focus on and it's also just you know it's, it's kind of an impersonal thing just i think the nfl struggles with this too we always talk about how with the helmets on there's less facial recognition for the nfl compared to the nba and that sort of happens in esports a bit as well they're hidden behind monitors when they're on the stage for a lot of it and it's hard to build up that uh, that persona as a professional player. Now, streamers have absurd amounts of access, and I feel like they are the the public faces of esports in so many ways, and they don't even play the games competitively. So it's a little bit of a weird dichotomy that you have going on in the esports world where the professional players aren't necessarily the biggest stars. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, um, in some respects, you kind of see that with like, um, well, luckily they've got, they've got the exposure like, because they've got the, the sponsorship funds, but like, uh, sorry, the um, playing revenue, but there are some f freestyle of footballers or the Harlem Globetrotters or people who do like all of these things, um, like these tricks and whatever else, who sometimes have bigger followers than the actual professional athletes and definitely bigger sponsorship deals. So I think it's, it, it happens in every sport. The biggest difference is like in the other sports, like you said, like they, yeah, as a baseball athlete, I get paid millions and I played for so long that I'm not that bothered if I don't make sponsorship dollars. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, I'm sure that we have some people on our platform who are more popular because they put up great content and they talk to you through games, but they're not professional esports athletes or they're not professional. They're not playing in any leagues right now. That's a really good point on the on the freestyling footballers and people like that. I just pulled up Dude Perfect's YouTube page just to check how many subscribers they're up to. They have 50 million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, Dude Perfect, people aren't aware, is like a trick shot. They started with 
crazy basketball shots. And now they've gone just absolutely bonkers with some of the things they've done, breaking Guinness World Records. But they're not professional athletes. They're trick shotters. And it's interesting to see how things adjacent to the sports world could still build up these massive followings. And for brands, it might actually be a place they want to partner instead of going into the traditional channels, partnering with somebody who's adjacent to sports in freestyling, uh, somebody who has a really big snowboarding channel, for example, or Dude Perfect doing trick shots. The same thing isn't true in esports. So it's interesting to see you know, what the opportunities are for brands in the spaces adjacent to sports. How much work is open sponsorship doing in those spaces? Yeah, we do quite a lot, actually. Um, mostly because, you know, be, being a marketplace, it's really up to the brand to decide who they want to pick and it's up to the athlete to, to put themselves forward for the opportunity. So, you know, if, um, if I'm a brand and I'm looking for great content that I can repurpose, then, you know, I'm probably going to get it from someone like a Dude Perfect over... Um, you know, Premier League footballer who never puts out video and, you know, doesn't do a lot of that stuff. So I'd say it really depends on the brand and on what they're looking for. Now, some people want to align with, you know, with the player and um, they're looking for that kind of legitimacy from that partnership. And then others are, are not. So it's, uh, I definitely think like it's right now, for example, we have a lot of requests from brands Um they want to work with athletes that are doing, can do like how-to tutorials or that are doing like a lot of workout from home or like personal trainers. Um, so it's just, I think it's really interesting to see like how brands, you know, who are they looking for and trying to react to that? Yeah, it's it's incredibly interesting. And it comes back to almost full circle to what we were talking about at the top, which is content creators versus people who don't create their own content. And these people that have this experience can naturally insert a brand or insert a sponsorship a little bit more seamlessly than an athlete who holds up a product is like, I love Dove soap. This is great. And it's uh, that matters to, to people. If you can just seamlessly put it in there, it feels, you know, seamless. So I think it's it's interesting to see how athletes are developing their own ways of being brand promoters. On the sports side, Shaq has definitely done a great job of showing what a brand ambassador can bring to a player's personal stardom. And I feel like other athletes are watching that and seeing that and being like, okay, I can inject some personality into ads, into sponsorships. Damian Lillard's Hulu ad is a good example. And it'd be cool to see more of that, more athletes who really understand what brands need. From your perspective, how do you help make sure an athlete brand deal goes well. You know, what are you doing to to help the content feel good and deliver both for the brand and for the athlete? Yeah, I think um, the first step is to make sure that everyone's on the same page with expectations. Um, brands will often come in and we, we try and really get them to think about wh- what is it that they want? Like, what does success look like? Because... If you are looking, if you're a brand and you're looking for sales conversions, um, it's probably a very different type of post you want than if you're looking for uh, pure brand awareness or even if you're looking for like huge amounts of engagement. You know, and a good example of that is like if you're, if you're really 
optimizing for engagement, then maybe you'll run like a product giveaway with an athlete, right? Like, hey, comment below to win a signed ball or a signed product from me, like tag your friends, go follow this page for a chance to win. Um, There's obviously nothing there about purchase. If you're looking to drive purchase, then you probably do something like an Instagram story with a swipe up link. And it's like, hey, check out this you know, amazing product. Here's 20% off with my code kind of thing. And then obviously there's everything in between as well, right? And so the first step is define what success is and then make sure your campaign speaks to that. And then once that's decided, then of course, like once you're in the deal, the main thing is, is just like putting in all the checks and balances, like, I think most athletes, if they don't do well, it's not because they're being malicious. It's because they honestly, like, they weren't sure on direction. Um, And sometimes, especially with the bigger athletes, it could be because the agent didn't emphasize enough, like, certain aspects that were necessary. Um, And so we've got things like uh, the ability that the brand can say the athlete must approve content from them before they post. Um, we don't encourage it if you're doing a, a lower value deal um, because it doesn't really make sense. But for a big value deal, then of course, and I think, so we're trying to put in like steps that help to make sure it goes right. But honestly, a lot of it stems from like making sure that all parties have all the information and that they're all on the same page. Um, I was recently speaking to someone and they were like, oh, that content, and it wasn't our deal, but they were like, that content was okay. I wish it was a little bit like more lighthearted. And it's like, well, you kind of want to be able to tell the athlete that, hey, I want it to be like lighthearted, fun content. Um, And then there are things, of course, where, you know, um, a recent deal that we spotted between an athlete and a brand, um, the athlete had disabled comments on the post. Now, obviously that hugely impacts engagement um, and it's it's not good at all. And we actually have a, a term in our terms and conditions that you can't do that. Um, so in that case, like the athlete doesn't get paid until he reposts with comments. Um, so there's a lot of checks and balances you can put in to make sure that, you know, those things don't happen, which will affect the, you know, the success of the campaign. That's really interesting. And I enjoy that look at, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. It does feel like some athletes get how to be good brand partners and some don't really see the value in it, at which case it's hard to to convince them that there is a lot of value in it. Uh, So I want to wrap up here, but I want to start, I want to end with a little bit of a broad question. It's just what makes an athlete a good brand partner and what do esports players need to do to catch up to the athlete sponsorship world a little bit? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, knowing for an athlete, there are so many there are so many brands out there that you definitely don't need to appease them all. I think what's really important is having your own um, brand and then making sure that any sponsored stuff that you do fits within that. And so here's an example. If I am a, okay, great, Chad Johnson is a great example where, you know, and relevant to the gaming world as well because he, he plays FIFA and other games so much. So he is super funny. He's very active on Twitter. Um, his content is fairly varied. He definitely talks a lot about his interests and what he's doing. And so as a brand, I will probably pick Chad because of all of these different factors. And now if his sponsored content is not in line with his personal 
like his own stuff, then that's just really disappointing um, for the brand. And it will also underperform for the the fan base as well, right? Because they're going to be like, oh, we obviously know that you were forced to do this. And so I think every athlete can have like a different vibe, right? Like you've got Kawhi Leonard, who is very serious. He doesn't even have Instagram. Like he's a bit mysterious. And you saw that when he did the deal with um, New Balance and they really played it on that, like, you don't know me, like, who am I kind of thing. And that worked really well. And so I think the main thing for an athlete is for you, for you as an athlete personally, and this obviously counts to, towards esports athletes, have a brand and be consistent. And look, we, we all have to do it, right? Like I'm sure on your podcast, like they all kind of follow their same structure. You've got a vibe about, you know, the kind of people that when they come to you, they they come wanting certain things. And like the same thing, my LinkedIn versus my Instagram are different because people want different things from different channels, um, even from you as one person and so you know have a vibe stick to it and then whenever you do a brand partnership make sure that vibe that's in your your own content comes across as well absolutely that's that's great advice and again yeah i feel like Shaq is one of the great examples and to your point on Kawhi leonard i also love the honey ads where they did like five spots with him and i think he said words in two of them so <laughs> It was just him staring blank face at the camera. And again, just showing, you know, this is his personality. He's a quiet guy and we're not going to force him to read this thing. We're going to build up an ad around his personality. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's so okay for every athlete, every person to have their own personality and, and, and not need to, to be someone else. But you got to make sure that just because it's a sponsored deal, you don't like underplay or you don't like make less effort. And I think that's where brands get really upset when they pick someone because they're like, I love, I love you for X. And then they, they don't get that. It's true. It's true. And in the esports world, more and more brands are turning over the keys to the esports organizations. I talked to BMW yesterday and they were like, we're partnering with these orgs, but the content we're leaving up. Like, yes, we have a, a deal in place and they're going to need to create some content around BMW, but we're going to be pretty hands off because they understand their audience. They understand how to connect to Gen Z kids. And so we're just going to give them the keys and let them make BMW content. And I think that's a really smart approach is just recognizing when you don't know how to reach the audience as well as that other group does and just letting them take it. And for brands, that's not always an easy thing to do. It's hard to turn over the the control of an ad of an ad spend, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the thing is like for organizations it makes sense because they've obviously got the the, the manpower. I think that that's where the difficulty comes with athletes because you know, if you do a deal with, obviously, if you do a deal with like a LeBron James or Kevin Durant, like he's got a star team around him to, to do, to shack a great example where the, the athlete's team can say, listen, this is the content we should produce. And we definitely have some agents who are much better at this than others. But what I would say is there are times that, you know, you'll pick an athlete and they don't have the team around them to come up with the creative. And then in that case, I think it's just about the brand and the athlete working a little bit more closely together and saying, all right, this is why we picked you. Here's the vibe we like. I really like when um, brands in a deal 
will tell um, will find a post from the athlete's feed that they liked and say, hey, I really like this one. Like if you could create something similar in Vibe. And I think that works really well because then the athlete's like, oh, I get it. You you liked it when I was outside or when I was with my family or when I was smiling or not smiling. So I think like quick um, and even as a as an athlete, if I was like an esports athlete and someone said they wanted to do a deal, I would every time ask the brand, hey, could you go through like all my past deals or all my content and tell me one piece of content that you think I can make something similar for you? And that way, again, it's just about aligning expectation early on. Definitely. And it gives to the people that are content creators, it gives a good jumping off point because it's hard to create something from scratch. And if you have a, a blueprint that really makes it a lot easier. And again, yeah, it's just communication. Communication is key. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Ishvita. It was great to talk to you. Uh, for our people from brand side, for our listeners on the brand side, I can't imagine we have a ton of athletes listening to the show, but if you are, shout out to you. Uh, for our people on the brand side, can you tell them why they should be signing up with Open Sponsorship? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, one, it's free at the moment um, to sign up and play around. There's amazing data and to run a campaign. Um, so we did that mostly because our athletes want to be doing more at the moment and we didn't want to put any restrictions in place. So A, it's free. B, we have amazing, amazing data on, um, you know, you go in and you could type in, in our search, you could type the word FIFA and see all the athletes who've talked about playing FIFA in the last 30 days and then layer on more and more searches. And then the third bit is obviously like hopefully it's come across a little bit here, but I think we're very good at um, helping with strategy that's very practical. Um, you know, like the when you do a deal with an athlete, like a couple of things can make the ROI just so much bigger. And I think we've, we've got that down such as like using the content in your own paid posts or in your next email marketing. So hopefully there are some brands out there that are thinking, you know, I know I want to work with an athlete, but I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm making the most of that spend and, and we can help out with that. Absolutely. Gives a good way of breaking down what is a massive sports and now esports industry helping find the people that you really want. And that seems like a really impressive resource, which is why you have so many amazing clients and athletes signed up to it. So thanks again for joining the show. It was great talking to you. Uh, and I'll link everything you need about open sponsorship down in the description of this podcast. Thanks, Mitch.